This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. A little bit of an experiment, but I really can't do the experiment. No, I'm not that scientific. Anyway, so now I have water. I have water. I have water. Hashem, I made a bracha. Anybody want water? Anybody thirsty? Got a little bit left. Okay. So tonight we're going to learn um, Talmud Devorah. A couple of different midos in Talmud Devorah are very important to be able to forgive people and to get along with people and to treat people like you want to be treated. Um, before that, um, so I wanted to, I asked you about making a bracha on water and, and you asked me about the bracha's whole thing, so it reminded me of a whole story. Um, so I was in the Gurdjieff Convention um, talking about kids at risk and this is about four years ago and I was sitting on the dais with all the rabbis um, Rav, Rav Shmuel Kamenesi was sitting right next to me and um, I got up in front of everyone and I said, like I would say to you what bracha what bracha do you make on this? I should hope you know that, right? Oh, come on anyone here doesn't know what bracha you make on this? what bracha do you make on this? so so, Rabbi Watson's getting up in front of that Gura convention and they're thinking to like Rabbi, like, is that you're going to give a shir on did you have to make a shahako? Like, you don't, you know, like, so Rav Shmuel was sitting next to me. He's a very big tzaddik, and people were all looking at me like there was something wrong with me. So Shmuel said quietly to me, you mean you're asking a question if you're only drinking the water because you want everyone to say amen? You're asking a question, do you have to make, what bracha would you make on it, or you don't make a bracha, right, Rabbi Walsh? That's what you're asking. So maybe you're not, because people looking at me like, this guy's like, doesn't even know what bracha to make on water, like there's something wrong with him. So I said, no, the, I said, Shishiba, no, that's not, that's not, um, that's not the, that's not the question. So he said, I understand, what is the question? So I get, went to the crowd again, I'm asking, what bracha do I make on this? Right? So you're wondering why I'm doing that, right? So, what's in here? Okay, how do you know? And it says crystal gaza, right? Okay. So, um, I need a a volunteer. First time in since I'm giving Shrim, I'm asking for a volunteer. Who wants to volunteer? You get a volunteer, you're going to be on the camera. Good for Shaduchim. The whole world's going to see you. Or it's not good for Shaduchim, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Nobody wants to volunteer? All right. Could you come up here and smell the bottle and tell me what's in it? What's Arak? Tell them what Arak is. So in this bottle, in this bottle right now is not water. In this bottle is whiskey, a rock. And if I was to give you a cup of this and you take it back, it's about a hundred proof. You'd probably burn your whole throat out. So, so that day when I was in the Aguda Convention, the bottle, which was that little a little bottle of Poland Spring, was full of vinegar. So I asked someone from the crowd to come up and to smell it, and they smelled it. They said, "Ugh, right? What is that?" And I said, it's vinegar. So I said, look, look what I just did. I was, there was a thousand people in that room. I said, I fooled a thousand people. I asked you, what bracha, and you all scream like, like I'm, in, like I'm something wrong with me. Shahako! You don't make a shahako on vinegar. You don't make a bracha on vinegar. I said, you're all wrong. You're, you're smart. You're intelligent. You have experience. Some of you are, are rabbis. And I asked you a question, and you're all wrong. 
I said, how did I fool you? Because it's in a water bottle. So you figured if it's in a water bottle, it must be water. Don't judge a person by what they look like or how they get dressed. Because if you just go by labels, you can make a really big mistake. And that was my lesson for that good convention. They were like, you all said Shahako, there's no bracha, you're all wrong. If it was a test, one, right. One question, you all got it wrong. Why? Because it said Poland Spring on it. Poland Spring is water. I said, that's what we say, you're not supposed to judge a person by chitzainius. So th- this, what I just did, I went to look for vinegar. We didn't have any vinegar, we had a rock. I'm not going to ask you how you know what it smells like. Right? We'll, we'll leave that right, right, right. I know, I know. I've had a rock. So um, it's licorice. It's licorice. It tastes like licorice. But anyway, so you all automatically thought, right, Wallace walked in, crystal geyser, it's water. No, it's not water. Well, it's so easy to fool you by a label, a person who is so much, so much more complex. How can you make a judgment by a label? You could be so wrong. The reason, I'm, the reason I did this is because we started off with the, with the bracha. And that's exactly what I did in the Agurda Convention. And Rabbi Shmuel, and I felt very bad because Rabbi Shmuel was like, ooh, this is very important what you did. And so I said, Rabbi, I'm sorry I didn't tell you beforehand. Because he was whispering to me like, maybe it's a Shiloh, you might right? And I should have told him beforehand, but I wasn't thinking whatever it is. So it's a very, impo- it's a very important lesson. It's, now we can all go home for the night. That's it. I can't, t- I can't give you a bigger lesson than what I just gave you. You see a girl, she looks a little different, maybe two earrings, maybe her skirt's a little shorter, maybe whatever it is. Don't judge her. Don't, don't give her, don't give another Jew a label. It is Tom Adora, but don't judge them all. Because you're so used to it. Look how easy. I fooled you all. So easy. You have no idea what's in here. Now, next time I do this, what are you going to do? When I say what bracha, you're going to say, depends what's in it. And we're like, well, how do you know what's in it? You're going to say, open the top, let me smell it. You know what? It may smell, may not have a smell, but it could be a chemical. Maybe it's a chemical without a smell. I'll put my finger on it. Let me just taste it a little bit before I drink it down, before I drink it down, right? So you have to do that with people too. Give them a chance. Check them out. Don't judge them right away. A person is much more complex than a bottle. So what happened to me, true story, true stories, the first time I did this was in Ornava a long time ago. And um, I went home, and the next day I was teaching in school, and I wanted to teach the kids the same thing. So I left the bottle of water with with vinegar in it in my fridge and then it's a true story the next morning I came down totally forgot what I did went to the fridge opened the bottle guzzled right pure vinegar I, I, I thought I was going to die because I could not catch my breath I could not catch my breath I thought I was going to die pure vinegar right I thought I was going to die so whoever wants to do this and teach this to somebody pour it out after you do it don't put it in the. Don't put it in the fridge. Don't put it in the fridge. Now you can come in with a bottle of vinegar, and it says Heinz vinegar on it, and you fill it up with water, and it was like the other way around. They were like, "Oh, that's vinegar." No, it's not vinegar. It's water. It's the same thing. You get you get used to labels. You get used to judging things by what they look like. Things are not what they look like. Not always. So smell it, taste it, look at it. You know, check it out. Same thing with the person. You know, before you make a judgment on them. Check it out. So that, that wasn't tonight's share. That was just from 
Hold on. Yeah. I better check her out every time she puts a, a bottle. No, I'm okay with that. I'm not worried about you. All right. Now, this has a lot to do with... Um, tonight's share happens to be Hashem puts it all together. And I want to talk a little bit about also a, um, a discussion that I had this week up in the in the ranch. They should all be gesund. They're doing amazing behind her. Even the horses are doing well. <laughs> somebody says, somebody called me Somebody called me a few weeks ago. She said, you have, you have a horse rehab? I'm like, yeah, it's a, you know, I have a ranch up in the mountains. She goes, my horse isn't doing well. Could you? Could I bring it? I said, no, no, it's not a horse rehab. It's not a rehab for horses. <laughs> I don't want your horse. But anyway, the horses are doing well. Anyway, we, we, maybe a little, I should talk about this beforehand. I talked about it in seminary today. So, so we talk about, I go up there once a week, and, and it's, it's, it's not a sheer. It's like, like, ask me questions. We'll talk about God and things like that. So, so I don't know what I said. A girl did something really good, and I said, you're going to get rewarded in this world, and you're going to get rewarded in the next world. And she goes, I don't believe there's a next world. I said, okay. So you sort, of, you sort of only believe in things that you see. She said, yeah. Famous saying that I get all the time from atheists and everybody. Did anyone ever come back? And say hello, first of all, yeah. Um, in Tanakh, in Tanakh, not in, not in the five books, but in Tanakh, um, Shaul, Shaul brought Shmuel Hanavi back from the other world. He asked him questions and he got punished for it. Because he wasn't, you're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do Yidaini. Um, but they, yeah, they, he was brought, so it's in the Navi that he was brought back from the other world and asked questions. So he came from another world. But, if the person doesn't believe in the Torah, so they don't believe in that story either. So don't bring me a raya from Shaul and Shmuel. I don't believe in anything. So I've been doing this for many, many years. Um, so I want to tell you what I told, what I, what I answered. So, so, so she said to me, do you believe there's another world? How many people believe there's another world? Raise your hand. How many people don't believe? How many people know no, not believe, but no, there's another world. You've been there? How do you know? No, not believe. Difference. How many people know there's another world? I don't. I know. I don't believe. I know. I'm past believing. How do I know? Was I ever there? No. I'm not going to come and tell you that I was there and I came back. No. I'm not in a rush to go there. Very happy right here. I got, I got work to do. But... I know. Now, how do I know? This is very deep. It's very important because you go through life and, you know, there's a difference between believing and knowing. There's a, there's a 1%, a little teeny, you know, when a person leaves this world and the first thing he sees is Hashem and he realizes that everything I believed was true, it's the craziest moment in a human being's existence is to be revealed that Hashem exists. What do you mean? I believed Him all the time. Yes, but there's always that teeny little bit you know, I didn't, I didn't see him. He doesn't talk to me. I didn't hear him. So yes, I see, I see through his creations and the Torah and everything else. But when a person leaves this world, the first thing he sees is Hashem. It's either the best moment of his life or the worst moment of his life. The person who believes, it's like, I was right. And Baruch Hashem, I lived my life that way. The person who didn't believe is like, uh-oh. I really messed up. I'm really in trouble. So it's either the best moment or the worst moment. There's no in-between moment. So, I deal with a lot of atheists. They're not atheists. They're kids, Jewish kids, who say they don't believe in God because 
they don't want to do what God tells us to do. So, so do I want to? You have two choices: either there is a God and I'm bad, or there is no God and I'm good. Because if He's not existent, then the Torah is not existent. Then whatever it says I shouldn't do, I'm doing. I got no problem. So it's much easier to live in a life where there's no God and I'm good than there is a God and I'm bad. So it's not really atheism. Most of them can't even spell the word atheism, right? But but to be a real atheist means that you have to have studied everything about God and disproved it. So when guys come to me, they're like, I don't believe in Hashem. I'm like, okay, you have to go to Yeshiva now for the next 30 years, learn every Musa Seder, every Musa Sefer that was ever written, and go through it all the Chachamim and disprove it all and then come back. They're like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm like, so then you don't, you don't, you don't you're not interested in God, but it's not that you don't, you don't believe that there's a God, because if, you, if you're a smart person, you're going to, before you say, I don't believe something, right, you're going to study it. If someone says, I don't believe there's anyone that lives on the North Pole. Right? Nobody lives on the North Pole. So I don't know that anyone lives on the North Pole. So if you told me that nobody lives on the North Pole, I'm going to go take a trip, and we're going to go up there, and we're going to check it out. And if I check it out, there's nobody on the North Pole, then maybe he's right. But I'm not going to sit in here, right, I'll tell you a story. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of students, boys. I taught 30 years eighth grade. One of my students lives in Florida. Okay? One day he calls me up. Rebbe, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? I'm like, I'm right now shoveling my driveway in the middle of a snowstorm. He's sitting on the beach in Miami. Okay? I'm like, if you're really a good student, catch JetBlue, fly to New York, and help your Rebbe shovel snow. And he says, I don't believe in snow. I said, what do you mean you don't believe in snow? I've never lived here my whole life. I never left Florida. I never saw snow. I don't think, I don't believe what you're saying. I'm like, are you crazy? Get on a plane and come here and you're going to find out that there's a lot of snow. You know what he said? Prove it. I'm like, prove it? Get on a plane and come to New York. He says, no. I want you to prove it here, at the beach. Why well, can I prove it at the beach? It's 85 degrees and sunny. How can I prove it at the beach? You're a moron. What's wrong with you? You can't prove snow at the beach at 80 degrees. You got to get on a plane. You got to come. Check it out. No. You got to prove to me while I'm sitting on the beach with my oil on, in the sun. If it ain't snowing here, I don't believe in snow. So I told you the story. You tell me, I'm not marrying that guy. Rabbi, don't, don't read him for me as a shidduch. Because he's a fool. Right? So a person who says, I don't believe in God, never studied God, is the same thing. You're sitting on the, you're not, you're not next to God, you're not learning about God, you're not, you're not learning all the swarm about God, right? You're just sitting on the beach and saying, I don't believe, I don't believe in snow. Did you try to find out what snow is? You try to figure out what snow is? Did you maybe watch on television and that's snowing? Okay, you could say someone's just dropping, you know, powder. You don't really know, you don't believe it. So if you really don't believe it, I said, you want to believe it? You come shovel snow with me. You're going to really believe it, right? I'm not interested. So, so that person is not, is a fool. So people who say, I don't believe in God, but don't study God and disprove God, they're not atheists. They just, they want to get rid of him because they want to live their life the way they want to. So their questions are their answers to their behavior. It's not really a question. If you ask me a question, you want an answer. If you're asking me, is there a Hashem, we've got to go sit and learn now for maybe 70 years, go through all this realm and all the proofs and all the, everything else, and, then, and also go through the world and see what he created. It. It's going to take a lot of work. 
But it's not a question if you have the if you don't want to hear the answer. And I get that a lot. It's like, no, I'm you know, like I don't believe in it. Okay, so then you're not interested in really getting the answer. If you have a real question that bothers you, you're gonna get the answer. So usually it's it's look, your questions are your answers to your misbehaviors. So you don't want to behave, so you have questions. I have questions. I don't have to behave. I don't really know that there's Hashem. In this case, with this girl, that's not what was going on. She's not looking to misbehave. She was asking, she was really, she's a very smart, very deep thinker, and she was like, how do you know nobody ever came back? How do you know? So it says it in the Navi, how do you know that's true? Were you there? Did you hear Shmuel speaking? Like, how do you know it's true? So I told her the following, it's very deep, and um, it's very true. And that's how I know. I don't think and I don't believe I know. So, we were created with five senses, right? Smell, seeing, hearing, touch, right? All the, diff- the five senses that a person has. What's the five senses? Feeling, smelling, tasting, hearing, seeing. Those five senses were created by Hashem for the physical world only. Okay, so in the physical world, anything that's three-dimensional, it has a width, it has a length, it has a depth, right? Anything that's three-dimensional, Hashem created our eyes to be able to see. Anything that doesn't have those three dimensions, you cannot see. For instance, what doesn't have those three dimensions? Bacteria. So... When you're looking in the air right now, there's a lot of bacteria going on here. There's, there's maybe someone's carrying the flu, maybe someone has strep, maybe someone has bad breath. Just like, right? They tell you that in your mouth, right? You need mouthwash because you have thousands of bacteria in your mouth, right? Gingivitis, you got all this kind of stuff flying around. If you could see that, we'd all run out of this room. Thousands of bacteria. Oh, I don't want to be here. Ooh, right? But we can't see it because it has no dimension. So you need to take a, a microscope, right, which is not your eye anymore, right, and it's magnified. Hashem didn't give us eyes on our microscopes. And then you can look at a slide and you can see cells, which you can't see with your eyes. You can't even see dust. Now, dust does have three dimensions because after it, lasts, it lands on your furniture, you can see that it's dusty. But one particle of dust you're not going to see. And there's dust in the room. And the riots of this dust in the room, that if we leave this room for three days, we come back, there's going to be dust on the table. But no one in this room sees dust. So, that's the physical world. But everyone here, and this is what I told the girls, and I've said this a million times, everyone here is living in another world at the same time. And you cannot deny it. You can be the biggest atheist, doesn't make a difference. Not a God thing. All of us are living in an emotional world. Everyone in this room has love, hate, sadness, happiness, crazy emotions. And emotions are much more powerful. The emotional world is much more powerful than the physical world. It makes you cry, it makes you sad, it makes you happy. It could, God forbid, you could be broken so emotionally that you will end your physical life. Your emotional pain can end your physical life. Emotions are much stronger than physical. And that's why 
90% of people who have emotional, real deep emotional relationships end up being physical, and only 20, 20% of physical relations end up becoming emotional. Uh, that's Time Magazine, not Ron Wallstein, but they did, a, they did a whole thing on this, and yes, 100%. That's why the, the Mishnah says, Al-Tabasichim Isha, that a boy and a girl who are not married should not have an emotional relationship because they're going to end up being physical. Nothing to talk about. It's the Mishnah Pekayavos, and that's the way it is, and that's why when you're at work, and guys start up with you, and they start talking to you about their marriage, what they're going through in life, and w- women are maternal, so they want to hear, and they want to help. He has other things in mind. And 90% of the time, if you're having that deep emotional relationship with the guy, you will end up being physical with him. There's nothing to talk about. And therefore, the mission says, Don't get into a... Don't talk to women, because talking leads to emotion. I care about you, I'm listening to your problems, I'm giving you, you know, it ends up being emotional. So, and that's going to end up, Saifai said, the end of the mission says, Saifai le Gehenim, you're both going to end up in hell. What do you mean? I'm talking to her, I want to help her. The mission says, you're going to end up in hell. That's where you're going to end up. Why, why could you say that? Right? So with your wife, you should be emotional. If it turns physical at the right time, fine, it's no problem. You should talk to your wife, right? But, a strange girl? No, and a girl, and that's how all adultery and all bad stuff starts, not with a guy walking over and saying like, yo, what's up? Let's, you know, let's, no. No, it's like, you know, I'm watching you and you're such a nice person and, you know, you seem to have a good marriage. You're your husband. You're always talking to each other. My wife doesn't talk to me and I'm ignored and you're like, poor baby, poor guy. You know, maybe you should be nicer. Maybe you should talk to your wife. And they start. That's how it starts in the office. That's how it starts and Bye-bye. Divorce, all kinds of situations. So this emotional world that we're all in is very powerful. But the five senses that God gave us don't work with that. You can't see emotions. I could smile at you and hate your guts. (laughs) Smiling at someone doesn't mean you like them. I could, a person could not even smile at somebody, and in his heart he is so in love, he doesn't know what to do. He's so in love with that person, but if you look at him, he looks like he's, he, doesn't want to sh- he doesn't want to show his emotions. You could fool people. You could be really angry and say like, hi, how are you? And like, oh, I want to rip his head off. Right? So your physical, there's no five senses. You can't smell emotions. You can't taste emotions. You can't see emotions. You can't hear emotions. You can't hear emotions. I can't hear the emotions in this room. Yes, you could scream in pain. That's not hearing your emotions. That's hearing your physical. I can't hear. I can't sit here and say, wow, this girl, I hear I hear her heart crying. No, I can't. You can't. Hashem didn't give us the tools to the five senses to affect the, the emotional world. So everyone has to admit, every human being has to admit that we're living in two worlds at one time. We're living in a physical world, and we're living in the emotional world. There's no, no one can argue that. Everybody has emotions. Even people who are emotionalists have emotions. That's why they're emotionalists. They're suppressing their emotions. So, a person dies, the physical body dies, but how do you kill an emotional body? Shoot him? There's nothing in the physical world that can kill an emotion. No, I will prove it to you. So you're thinking, if the person's brain is dead, right, then they can't have emotions, right? 
So, when you go home tonight, I'm going to give you homework. Actually, tomorrow, you're going to go to the flower store, and you're going to buy two little plants for $6. Two little plants. Right? And you're going to put them, one in one, one in one room, one in the other room, you're going to water both of them. One of them, every morning, you're going to go over and say, good morning, beautiful. How are you? I love you. I never met anything that you... You're the most pretty plant I've ever had in my life. You're going to just keep growing. You're going to be amazing. And the other one, in the other room, you're going to say, you're ugly. No, you're not going to scream. Same voice. Because otherwise you can say, the sound waves. Same voice. You're ugly. I hate you. I never saw something so disgusting. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. The plant that you speak nicely to will grow. And the plant that you speak not nicely to will die. You could Google it if you want to Google it, but you could do it. I gave it, I gave it as homework, and kachoya. They did it with celery sticks, whatever. Kachoya. Now, we all in this room know that a plant has no brain, and a plant has no heart. So how could it be that if I talk nasty to my plant, he dies? If I talk nice to my plant, it grows. But it doesn't have a brain. She's saying when you die, your brain is dead, so you have no emotions. It has nothing to do with your brain. So when, when someone passes away... Wait, the soul... The soul, the soul not the brain. Brain. No, the soul... Right, that's, right. that's, what, that's what I'm emotions saying. Emotions and the soul are all one. That's emotion, spirituality, soul, is all one. Right. And, and your physical body cannot live... Can't, your engine can't start, right, right? Without the emotion. That's the gas. That's what keeps you going. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that when a person dies, where does that go? It goes to another world. It goes to a world of emotion. It doesn't go to a physical world. And we all know that in the next world there's no physical... It's all emotion. So what I was trying to prove to these girls is that yes, the body dies, but the neshama doesn't die. But they asked the same question you asked. How do you know that the brain, because the brain's alive, that's why you feel emotions. But if the brain dies, you don't feel emotions. And my proof to that is a plant doesn't have a brain and it feels emotions. And you're right. That's, she asked a question. That was my answer. Plant has no brain, has no heart, has no liver, has no kidneys. And it feels emotion. And if you don't believe me, you do it. You, it's amazing. The one plant will die, and the other plant will be like, whoa. And there's, there is a story about a very big tzaddik that, um, I forgot the name of the tzaddik. He lived in the Holocaust. He, he, he ran away from the Germans. He ended up in the forest. And he lived in the forest. And when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he became a big Rosh Hashiva. It could be Mir, I'm not sure which Yeshiva. I'm sure I'll get emails because it's a very famous story. And he, he had a little, he had a garden. And every single morning, he would not go out to the garden, he would water the plants and he would talk to them. And he would say, I want to thank you, even though it wasn't you, I lived in the forest only off plants. That's all he had. He had nothing else. And because of that, I have a cross to talk to the plants. That's where he had a garden. His, his Talmud were like, he sat and learned all day and he's watering the garden in the morning and talking to the plants. So they asked him, what are you doing? He says, ah, of the, the plants, they have no brains. So there is a whole world that we're in, this whole world we don't see, we don't hear, we don't feel, that is so powerful. And when a person dies, the actual weak part of him dies, which is the physical part, goes into the ground, becomes dust, nothing, becomes worms, it's nothing, it is nothing. But the other part of him, which you cannot kill, you cannot kill an emotion. There's no, there's no tool to kill an emotion. So that, 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 when the body dies, that's what's left of the person. You want to call it it's his personality? 
because really in the next world, the, the way the person is in this world is the way the person is in that world. So I, I don't want to get too political and stuff, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails because of what I'm about to say, but that's what I do. That's why I have one of these, so my phone, my, I don't get emails because otherwise my phone will be beeping after I'm going to make this comment. But I'm going to make this comment. Whether you hold from Lubavitcher ever or you don't hold from Lubavitcher ever, he was a very big tzaddik. And his, his main thing in life was helping Jews. That's what he did. He's, he, he, in everywhere that you go in the world, whether you're Lubavitch or not Lubavitch, wherever you go in the world, I travel anywhere, everywhere, there's a minion, there's a mikvah, and there's food. All Lubavitch. Whether you go to Beijing, whether you go to the Arctic, whether you go to South Dakota, whether you go wherever you go, and they're moist and nefesh because their kids don't have yeshivas, and there's not a hundred Jews around, and they put up a shul, and any Jew or religious not religious doesn't matter. They makar them, they come to shul, they daven, they put on tefillin on them. They're amazing. They're amazing. The Reva, Lubavitch Reva, set this up. So his whole life, he did chesed. I know of miracles, and I'm not telling you to do this and to become a Babish. That's not what I'm telling you. But I know of miracles of people that went to his grave, that went to his grave, and davened to Hashem, not to him, davened to Hashem, that, and that the Lubavitch Rebbe should go in front of the Kisei HaKavu, because that's what you're davening. You're not davening to the person. And, and I cannot tell you how many Yeshuos, how many Yeshuos, how many miracles have happened to people who have gone there. And people are like, Maybe he was Mashiach. I'm like, no, he's not Mashiach. Mashiach didn't die. It's not Mashiach. Forget what the Mashiach business. I said, but I'll tell you what he is. What you are in this world is what you are in that world. And since all he did in this world was help people, he has the koach in the next world to help people. Period. Forget about you, believe about you, don't, whatever you want. The bottom line is, that's all he did here. So when that's what you do here, then Hashem says, what you do here, you can do there. Now, how do I know this? How do I know this? It's a very famous story. I said it last night in my share. I don't remember who the Rebbe was. It's in, it's in the Avas Chaim, which is a very holy safer. There was this very big time, maybe by Ditchev. Could be it was by Ditchev Rebbe. I think maybe it was by Ditchev Rebbe. Anyway, it was a very big time, and his, he had a grandson, and they were making a bris in the morning. And he was gonna name, the, he was gonna name the child. So they finished davening, he went into his room, the mile came and everybody was there to do the bris. And he doesn't come out of his room. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Doesn't come out of his room. So the son-in-law, it's his kid that was born. Everyone's leaving. He doesn't even have a minion left. He keeps knocking on the Rebbe's door. The Rebbe doesn't answer. Anyway, after four hours, the Rebbe comes out. He says, okay, now we can do the bris. He says, There's only ten people left. Like, what did you do? Like, why? He says, when I went in to take my tillin off, to change my tillin from a Rashi to a Rabbeinu Tan, whatever, I saw outside my window a huge cloud, a spiritual cloud, big cloud. He said, and with Ruach HaKodesh, I looked into the cloud to see what's, there was something going on in the cloud. And I saw there were thousands of angels, and they were bringing a soul from this earth to Shemayim, to Ganeiden. I think the, the rabbi's name was Rav Kahana, whatever it was, he said, and I, I was fascinated with what's going, what's going on over here. 
He says, and I watched. Now, it says in the Kabbalah that you cannot get to Ganeiden unless you take a bridge over Gehenna. So even the biggest tzaddik has to go over a bridge that goes over hell. Why? Why don't they just make a bridge to Ganeiden? Listen to this. Because as big a tzaddik as you are and you deserve Ganeiden, you have to watch the people that you didn't save. There's a price to pay. You were the rabbi, you were the gadol, and all these people are in Gehenna. So you have to see the pain. And it says that the door of Gehenna and the door of Ganeiden face each other. And the people in, in Gehenna hear the Torah and the beauty that's coming out of Ganeiden, and they feel, I could have had that, look what I did, I messed up. And the people in Ganeiden hear the people crying in Gehenna. Why? It's because even though you're singing Ganeiden, Tzadikim, if there's another Jew in Gehenna, you need to hear his pain. It's crazy stuff. In the next world. That's how much we're connected to each other. You're in Ganeiden, you did all your mitzvahs, no, but you have to be in pain. You can't, it can't be perfect. Why? You have to hear these people cry because you could have saved one and you didn't. It's not so simple in that world as it is not so simple in this world. Anyway, the story goes that Rav Kahana jumped off the bridge. He's walking on the bridge from Gehenna to Ganeiden. He jumped off the bridge into Gehenna. The minute he jumped off the bridge into Gehenna, they had to turn the fire off. You can't, he's a tzaddik, he's a godlo, he's a tzaddik. They had to turn the fire off. The Malchut turned the fire off. So now everybody in Gehenna is, Fires are off. They're like, Rabbi, you got to hang out here for a while, you know? So the Malach, who takes care of Gehenna, said, get back on the bridge. You can't do this. This is my job. And I, I'm not supposed to turn the fires. Only off on Shabbos. Right? The Machloik is, if you don't keep Shabbos, they, but pretty much everyone says that Shabbos, everything's down. Everything's closed. And if you keep late Shabbos, and if you have to come from being Gehenna, they keep you later in Ganeiden. Yeah, it's the whole thing. That's why I down them very late. Like, get me out of there, you know, get me out of there as fast as you can. I want to stay in Ghanaian as long as I can. But anyway, so, so, he says, get back on the bridge. He says, no, I'm not getting on the bridge until I take souls with me from the seventh level. The seventh level of Gehenna, you don't get out with cottage, you don't get out with nothing. You're there forever. Like, a really bad, 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 bad place. He says, until I, until I take people from the seventh level to Ghanaian with me, I'm like, I'm, Jalamala's like, what are we going to do with this guy? So he went to Hashem. He goes in front of the Shekhinah. He says, Hashem, this, this tzaddik said that he's not leaving Gehenna until he gets to take souls with him. And I don't know what to do because if I turn the fires back, you know, if, if, if he lie, if, if, if I take him and throw him out of Gehenna, then I'm making him lie. He made a statement. I'm not leaving until I get souls. If we don't give him souls. So Hashem said, listen to this, it's, it's, it's about in the Pasha of the Dharam. Hashem said, look in his records. If he ever lied in his life even once, then we can make him, we can, we can take him out without letting him save anyone. We can make him a liar. In other words, he said he's not going to leave. We're going to force him to leave. You're making me a liar, but you lied on your own in this world. So now you can't, you can't complain about we're making you a liar. Everything is midah kenega midah. So, they checked him out. He never lied. Now they had a problem. He made a statement, I'm not leaving unless I get souls. So Hashem said, you're going to have to let him take souls. So the Malach said, how many? So Hashem said, as many souls as he saved on earth, that's how many souls he gets to take out of hell. How many souls did he save on earth? 300. That's what it says in the, in, in the Abbas Chaim. 
What does it mean he saved them? So he, he would raise money when they were ransomed. He ransomed 300 captured Jews. Hashem said, he gets 300 souls from the lowest level of hell that never would have been free. So the Malach comes back and tells Rav Kahana, okay, you can take 300. He said, no. I want 600. 600? Where do you have right? Hashem said 300. Where do you, you know, where do you? He said, I saved 300, but I died when I was 70. And if God would have given me another 20 years and lived till 90, I would have definitely saved another 300. So it's not my fault. He, I died young. So he has to give me credit of what I would have done if I would have lived till 120. So the went back and said, he says he died at 70, but I may have asked him, figuring out exactly how many he'd say by 70 and do the math, he, he, he wants to take more. And Shem said, absolutely. And he took, I think he says, I don't know, 600, 700, whatever it is, 700. And he took out of your hand. That would never would be free. Why? Because in this world, he saved people. And in this world, he never lied. So in that world, they can't make him lie. And in that world, he can save people. So a person who saves people in this world is able to save people in that world. Because the only thing that died is your body. And that's not who you are. You are not your body. You are your personality. What is your personality? Your personality is your emotional being. is your spirituality. So a human being, the body is the car, but the driver is the neshama, is the soul. And that's how I know there's another world. Because I'm living in it right now. And that was the end of that discussion. So I don't believe I'm in another world. I don't believe there's an emotional world. Anyone who would say that would be a fool. That means you never had any emotions. We all know that there's an emotional world. So if you know there's an emotional world, then you know there's a world of emotion. And you can't kill that person. You can't kill that personality. And that personality even has power in the next world. And Chatzashon, the other way around. There's a story about this tzaddik who came to an inn. And he had a lot of money, and he didn't know what to do on Shabbos. So he went to the graveyard behind the inn where non-Jewish people were buried, and he took the money and he buried it deep, deep next to a grave. He figured that the thieves that stay in this motel that he's staying, they're going to look through all his bags, they're going to look through his donkey stuff, but they're not going to look in the graveyard, right? He, it's a perfect place. Anyway, comes, comes Sunday morning, he goes out to the graveyard early in the morning, and where he left his stuff was all dug up. All his money is gone. Who knew that I buried it? It's a true story. Who knew that I buried it in, in the grave? He, he looks at the name on the gravestone and he realizes that the name on the gravestone is the same name as the guy that owns the, hotel, the motel. His father. His father. So the Rav goes in. It's also an Abbas Chaim. In the same parak. The rabbi goes in and he goes straight to this guy and he says... Give me my money back. So we talk about what money are we talking about? Says, what money? I want to go into your room. He goes into the room. Of course, he finds the money. The guy says, "How did you know that I took the money?" He said, "Well, it was by the gravestone of your father." He says, "But the rabbi asked him, well, why would you go to the gravestone of your father and dig it up for my money? How did you know?" This is what he said. And Friday night, his father, the non-Jew came to the owner of the inn in a dream and said, there's a rabbi who has a lot of money and he buried it right next to me. So the Avas Chaim says, I don't understand. 
this guy's father, right, was a Ganav. But now he's in the other world. So he knows there's, a, there's hell, there's heaven, there's God, there's truth, there's false. How could he come in a dream and tell his kid to steal? He knows the truth. He's coming from the other world to tell him to steal. And the answer is, you're a Ghana in this world, you're a Ghana in that world. So he writes. So he, ha- he doesn't have the power, even though he's in the next world, he sees God, he sees the MS, he sees the truth, he sees the false guy. He doesn't have the power to overcome it because that was his personality in this world. That was his emotional, spiritual being. And you can't change it in the next world. So you're a Ghana in this world, you're a Ghana in that world. You're a Baba Cherebi in this world, you're a Baba Cherebi in that world. You can help people, you daven. The scariest shir I ever gave was in a shul that they asked me to speak about not talking my davening. And I don't play games. You know, when I, I don't play games. I, I say it the way it is. And like the rabbi's like, you need to scare these guys. Because no matter how many times he got up to speak about talking my davening, they don't care. They don't care. They just keep talking. So I got up, and this is, uh, this is also, it's, it's not an Abbas Chaim, it's in a different Sefer, a Musa Sefer. He says, this is what he says, it's the scariest thing in the world. He says, someone who talks about, talks about davening in this world, so in the next world, they don't let him daven. What does that mean? Person, a child is sick, a grandchild is sick, the grandfather died, he's buried, what do you do? You go to the cemetery, and you say, it's Hila, that, you know, you, you, Lili Nishma, you say, Tfila, you should go up to Shemayim, you should daven for me, and, 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 and I, I want to get married, you need a shidduch. So you go to your grandfather, great-grandfather's grave, and you're like, I need you to daven for me, I go to Israel, please daven for me, I should find a shidduch. Uh, then you, I need children, to daven, I chill, not, whatever it is. But if that person in the ground talked by davening, he can't do anything in Shemayim. He has no Tfila in Shemayim. So when he's like, oh my God, my great-granddaughter is very sick, she has cancer, and Hashem, I need you to do something. The Malachim don't let him get to Daven. They're like, you? You talk in this world? You talk in that world. You don't Daven in that world. Whatever you do here, you do there. The difference is, that's forever. So there's, there's no question, I'm not trying to scare you. There's no question, there's no question. The, the Kavayasha, the Kavayasha brings down a story. I don't, I don't want to scare you tonight, but... What? Do tshuva. Tshuva? You don't have to be scared, so change, so change it. It's not to be scared. It's like it's like telling a shirt that's dirty. It's like telling a shirt that's dirty. You're going to the cleaners. Goes in there spinning, hot, cleaning, chemicals, pressing, right? You get your shirt. Is, is the shirt scared? No, that's how you get the clean shirt. Right, right, exactly. So you can do you can do better. You can do tshuva. If you do tshuva, if you do tshuva, God doesn't God doesn't want you to serve Him out of fear, and that's not my share tonight. It's not about it's not about being out of fear. It's about listen. The bottom line is, and this is one of the biggest problems in our generation. The way God created the world, there's consequence. Sorry, not punishment. So if you take a glass, you take a crystal glass, and I drop it on the floor, it's going to smash. Is the floor angry at the glass? Is the floor punishing the glass? God created the world with consequence. You stand in front of a car doing 90 miles an hour, you're dead. The car doesn't like you? It's, it's not a punishment. It's a consequence. So the way he created souls and everything else is that an Avera has a consequence and a Mitzvah has a consequence. And, and, and a person's judged 
have to understand how deep the consequence of being a human being is. Now, when a person dies, he gets judged very easy. It's a very easy judgment, the first judgment. Then 30 days of Shloshim is another judgment. Then the year, which is the yard site, is another judgment. And then every year, Kumashiach comes, that Neshama is judged. Why are you judging me again? You judge me enough. You know what's going on. And the answer is that every single year they look at like an investment portfolio with money, right? So you went ahead and you made this girl from, you made her religious. Now, that's very nice. And you got your mitzvah and it's going to help you very much. But now, because she's religious, she got married, she has children, they're learning every word of Torah, every mitzvah, every Shabbos, everything they do is yours. So at the end of every single year, they look at all the good you cause in the world, if you save one person, it's crazy, they send you FedExes all day. All day long, you get FedExes, what you did for that person, or someone wanted to hurt themselves and you stopped it, or you made someone smile, right? So that, that doesn't, that has to be judged every single year. On the other side, you took someone off the derach. So all their Averis and their children's Averis and their grandchildren's Averis and all those Averis that you caused because you turned her off and, as a teacher, right? And actually ended up marrying a guy and all that, all those guys, that's all yours. So every single year, it's like your money in the bank. They want to look at the interest. They judge you for the interest. So, on the, on the, on the downside, there's consequence. But on the upside, there's also consequence. It works both ways. It works both ways. And, you can do tshuva on the downside. You can't. You, you can go in front of Hashem. You're not doing a mitzvah. You're going in front of Hashem. When you go to Kevah Rachel, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you going to Kevah Rachel? Down, just down in your room. Down in your room. Okay. No. Rachel Yimenu is the, is the grandfather. You're going to the grave of the great-grandfather. You're asking him, could you daven for me? Rachel Yimenu, Avram Yisrael, Yaakov, Orsa, Machpelah. Rav Shimbaichoi, all these places, you're not dabbing to Rav Shimbaichoi, you're saying Rav Shimbaichoi, in the next world, go to the Kisar Kovod and daven for me. Rachel Imenu always cried for us. Why is Rachel Imenu the one? Right? She's called Imenu because in this world, she, she wasn't jealous. She overcame that. She has that in the next world. So she actually said to Hashem, on Tishabav, she said to Hashem that I wasn't jealous of my sister and you're jealous of the Jews that, they, that they're that they're bowing down to idols, which are not even real. And Hashem said, okay, I forgive them. She had that power. What she did in this world, she used that power. So a person who in this world was insulted, right, was insulted and didn't answer, it was on that level, can go in front of Hashem and say, like, why are you angry at the Jews that they're doing this? I didn't, I didn't get angry. That's this whole safer. This whole safer, all 13 attributes, is things that human beings can do in this world, which force Hashem, Hashem's hand in the next world. We have, we have crazy power. But yes, there's a consequence. Yeah, it would be very nice to rabbi get up, all, all these new rabbis, and like, you do whatever you want. It's all about love. Hashem's going to forgive you for everything. There's no consequence. It's all about love. The whole world's about love. No, it's not true. They're leading you in a false world. There's consequence. You do chufa. I'm talking about someone who didn't do chuva. I'm talking about in the last second, the last second they do chuva, it's over. You want to hear a crazy story? We'll end with this. Hashem puts the right words in everyone's mouth. Yes, He gave us something very special. You can erase everything that you did. It's amazing. Yeah. Right. So how come people? So how come people don't? So how come people don't? 
How can people know? No, how can people do bad their whole life? They, they know they're not doing true because they don't believe in Hashem. They don't believe in the whole thing. What? The Mishnah says he waits to your last breath. If you say in your last breath, Shema Yisrael, that's what we're in person's dying, that's what we say Shema Yisrael, and we say Hashem no Maganu, forgiveness, you're good to go. But nobody can, you could be in a car accident and not, not have that, that last breath. You could have a heart attack and not have that last breath. So no one's, guaranteed, no one's guaranteed that. You have to earn that. So I'm saying, 100%. A minion comes and they say, and they say oh, 100%. But not everyone gets that. Okay, so they're like off the hook. Not off the hook. No, that's not off the hook. That's not off the hook. You know what? It's, you know what? You know what? Okay, so this is, I mean, it's, it's late, but I started very late. This is very deep to understand, and, and this is a proof of, of, of what I said tonight. When I was 14 years old, I walked into a store. I always wanted to have Cracker Jacks. But Cracker Jacks weren't kosher, officially. Not like now. Okay, they are now, whatever. Um, I liked the Cracker Jack. I, I, I wanted to have a Cracker Jack. I also wanted the prize on the bottom of the Cracker Jacks box. Um, so, Chotosi Avisi Pashati, I bought Cracker Jacks and I went behind the store and I ate what I thought was trafe. It wasn't because we see now it has the same ingredients and it's not. But I thought it wasn't kosher. Not chazer trafe, but it wasn't kosher. I didn't, right? Okay. I did that when I was 14 years old. Five years ago, I'm in Eretz Yisrael by the Koiso, the Ela, and I'm doing tshuva on all my stuff. And I'm like, I never did tshuva on the Cracker Jacks. It just came into my head. I'm like, Hashem, listen to me. I didn't know you when I was 14 years old. I definitely didn't have a relationship with you like I have today. There is no way, no way today that I would eat something that's not kosher. I would never do that to you. You gave me all this food that I could eat, right? I am so sorry, and I promise you, I will never eat Cracker Jacks again if they're not kosher. I'll never eat something that's not kosher, right? But I didn't know you. I didn't have that relationship with you. So uh, it wasn't a big deal. I really cried about something that happened 40 years before that, more than 40 years ago. Okay, now, after 120 years, where Wallstein come up to Shemayim, everyone comes up to Shemayim, was Mashiach will come right before that, and you have your judgment day. And the Satan, go, you go through every day of your life. So now he's up to that day. And he's like, this is when he started down the bad road. Started with a box of Cracker Jacks. Everybody in the room, let's see Wallstein, what he does in the back of the store. Okay? And I walk into the store. He's, he's a prosecutor. He's the one that tells you in your head, do it, do it, do it, do it. Do that for you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And the minute you do it, he runs up to Shemayim and says, she did it, she did it. Look, here's the film. He's a prosecutor. He's the witness. He's the guy that talks you into everything. And that's why after you do your sin, for a second, you feel bad. Because your Yetzirah leaves you to tell Hashem, and then you're only left with your Yetzirah, which is your conscience, which is in that world. The conscience of a person, guilty conscience, is in that world. Whatever, okay? So he leaves you, you feel bad, then he comes flying back, and he's back, and you're like, ah, eh, it wasn't so bad. Because the Yetzirah is back. Anyway, so he's like, yeah. Here's Wallstein. He's walking into the store. Everybody watch this. First time he ate trafe. I got it to do it. Walking to the store. Cracker Jacks. I walk right by the Cracker Jacks. Keep going. Wiseman's chocolate babka. <laughs> and the Sutton's like, no, 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 no. 
First of all, there was no such thing as Wiseman's Chokambaka. <laughs> he, he didn't, he, he, I take the Wiseman, I pay for it. I go to the back of the store, the front of the store, I open it up. I eat my Reisman keg. Then I make an alamichya. There's something to scream at the top of the lungs. Liars, cheaters, you fake this whole film, whatever it is. And the defending angel says, no. You see, when he did tshuva, he went back in machshava in time. And he told Hashem, that's not what I wanted to do. I, wa- I wanted to eat something kosher. I just didn't realize who you were. So the machshava gives you the power, listen listen to the power, to change something physical. I ate Cracker Jacks. My physical body ate Cracker Jacks. They went through my system, through my intestines, out the door, whatever it had to do, but my body ate Cracker Jacks. No. No. Your spiritual, emotional side has the power through tshuva. My body did not eat Cracker Jacks. That world of spirituality and emotion, much more powerful than any physical act. So when a person does tshuva, no matter what physical act they did, how big an avayu it is, if they really do a tshuva and they're like, I didn't know who you were, I, I made a mistake, I love you, Hashem, I'm never going to do it again. But you have to have harata, you have to feel bad. If you're like, wow, those cracker jacks were great, you know. And you don't have harata, you don't feel bad about it, right? I have one thing that I, whatever, and I still... Smile when I repeat the story of what I did, right? I didn't do truth on it yet. I know that. Because if you could smile after saying what you did, it doesn't bother you enough. So it has to get to a point where you really like, you don't want to even talk about it. It bothers you so much. So as long as you're like, yeah, I, I, I changed since then, but I got to tell you, that was a lot of fun. No good. No good. Because then you're not going back and you're not changing what happened. So, so Hashem gave us this crazy matana that you could go backwards you could change anything. So there's a story. There's no Shiloh that this was not my share tonight. I was supposed to learn with you attributes, right? But God puts in my mouth what you need to hear, not what I need to say. So I haven't said this story last night, and I'll end with this. This is the most amazing story about tshuva, okay? And it's a story in the Gemara. It was a rabbi. No, it wasn't a rabbi. It was a really bad guy. I'll tell you this story. Listen to this story. It's a Gemara, it's a Gemara, it's a Gemara. And this all started with a bottle of Arak. See what happens when you drink Arak? Forget about it, right? Where did he do tshuva? Come on, where are you? There was a... There was a, like, there was a person who did very bad Averis. Oh, he bears sin. Okay. And every woman, he, he was with every woman that you can imagine and every woman you can't imagine. And he used to take boats to go to harlots, to women of the, of the night. And in Mamish, he did not normal Averis. One day, a man walked by right after he did this Avera, his Averis, and the man said to him, you will never, oh, here it is. The Gemara tells the story of Elazar ben Dordaya. His name was Elazar ben Dordaya, who followed his passions wherever they led. He left no sin undone and even sailed the seas in pursuit of physical pleasure. One day, someone made a passing comment to him that even 
if he were to do tshuva, he said, you're such a bad guy, you're so mole you're so full of sin, that even if you were to do tshuva, God would never accept your tshuva. God would never accept your tshuva. Those words shook him. Like, I am so bad, that if I did tshuva, God would not accept my tshuva. The very feeling of helplessness and hopelessness awakened him a burning desire to break free of his sins. So he went to a valley between two mountains and he called out to the hills and the mountains and he said, listen, I'm a lowlife. God's not going to listen to my prayers. The guy told me that he's not going to listen to my prayers. Mountains and hills? You pray for me. They answered him, we would never pray for you. We're going to go pray for ourselves. Okay. So that didn't work. They said, rather than beseech mercy for you, we will beseech mercy for ourselves. So he said, okay, heaven and earth, please daven to Hashem for me. They said, rather than daven for you, we're going to daven for ourselves. Sun and moon, daven for me that Hashem should forgive me. Rather than have than pray for mercy for you, we will pray for ourselves. Stars and constellations, Big Dipper, Little Dipper, please pray for me. Rather than pray for you, we will pray for ourselves. So he looks at himself. There's another thing that we'll talk about, not this week. And he said, I guess it depends on me. Stop expecting everyone else to fix you. Shemayim said no. Oret said no. Everybody said no. He came to the realization, if I want forgiveness, I got to do the work. You got to do the work. Nobody can do the work for you. People can coach you, but nobody can do the work for you. Okay. He put his head between his legs and he cried so much that he died. He was so sorry and so hurt about what he did, he died on the spot. And a voice came out of heaven, it's called a basko. And the voice said, Rabbi, Rab, Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya has been invited to come to Ganeidim. Everything was forgiven. Rabbi. Rabbi. They added the name Rabbi and said, in Shemayim Abbaskol, you're invited to come to Ganadin. His name was Rabbi Loza, Rabbi Loza ben Derdai. It was a Loza ben Derdai, but they added the Rabbi. When Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi heard this, he said it's not fair. Some earn their portion in the world to come. You have to work for many years to be a tzaddik. And this guy... Earned it in one moment of tshuva. I'm working a whole life. I don't know if I'm going to get anything. This guy did tshuva, and they said, Rabbi! They added Rabbi. So he says, the, the important practical lesson, says the Toma Devorah, is obvious that the power of sincere tears, these tears of repentance that awaken from below, draw the greatest mercy from the highest realms. His tears opened up the floodgates of heaven. He called Rabbi and was led into Ganeidim. That's a very special present that Hashem, that Hashem gave us. That emotionally, spiritually, you can actually change what you did physically. It's not normal. It's such a present. So I think that one of the reasons that we should get punished is that the king gave us the key and you didn't use it. Hashem's like, you come to Shemaim, like, you can do tshuva. Why didn't you do tshuva? I, I, I gave it to you. I, I gave you all the evidence, right? Like, like a guy's going to court, and there's evidence. 
and the king and the king burns the evidence, right? Or gives you the thing, tells you where the evidence is, and you, and you don't use it. That's the problem. It's very very late. So on Rosh Hashanah, I talk about this that that there was a king and he had three guys, his three best friends, and they were very jealous. Everyone was very jealous of these three best friends. And one night, these three friends got drunk and they went into the treasury of the king and they stole some of the king's stuff. So one of the guys, the enemies heard about it and he went to the king and he said, you know, your three friends, your buddies that you're so close to, they stole from your treasury. You have to hang them. And the king said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So he sent a messenger to all three friends. He said, listen, the the police are coming. Get rid of the stuff you stole. Throw it into the river. Just throw it into the river. So when they come, I understand you got drunk. You're my buddies, right? I'll cover for you. But get rid of the evidence. They catch you with the evidence, you're done. So... Two of them threw the stuff in the river. The third one didn't. So they, br- they brought this guy to the king. They had the evidence. And the king said, you have to hang him. They had the evidence. He, had, he couldn't, in front of everyone, say you could steal from the king, right? So the, the, his friend went to the king and said, but, but I'm your best friend. How could you hang me? He says, you're not my best friend. If you were my best friend, you would have thrown away all the stuff you stole when I told you. Now you embarrass in front of everyone. You should, so he said, you deserve to hang because I gave you a chance to, to do tshuva and you didn't do tshuva. So that means you don't care. Why did you throw the stuff in the river? I don't care. I stole the stuff. I don't care if anyone knows I have stolen the stuff. So in Rosh Hashanah Kippur, if you don't do tshuva, it's an added insult. Like, why didn't you do tshuva? Because you don't care. If you don't care, then you deserve what you get. Okay, just make sure you always smell and check the bottle of water before you drink it. Thank you very much for coming. Good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.